0: 360 degrees, ha ha,
1: 360 degrees, ha ha. 360, 360, 360 degrees, ha ha. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to you settlers as Berkeley. As the Black Lives Matter movement continues the fight for justice across this country, the police killings also persist. Now joined by militia vigilantes, So what's it like being a black family in 2020 and watching your children navigate this land? On tonight's show, we'll talk with parents raising their children and we'll hear what they think. That's tonight on Full Circle. Stay tuned. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome again, everybody, to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. I am your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin, and tonight we are going to hear from some parents about what it's like raising their kids, or young adults even, during this time of, of, of a renewed fight for civil rights. So before we get started into our conversation, I want to give my guests a chance to introduce themselves, and I want to start with Yvette Williams right here to my left, as she has been helping me organize this conversation tonight. So, Yvette, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, how many kids you got, and um, how old they are, and then we'll just move around the room.
2: Hey, my name is Yvette Williams. I'm the founder of two different agencies, Back on Track Community Service Services, where we work with children, transitional foster youth, women that were formerly trafficked and survivors. I'm sorry and current victims of sex trafficking. We also work with formerly incarcerated youth and adults. And then I also have a business, Back on Track Expungement Services, where I expunge criminal records for those that qualify throughout the Bay Area. I have three daughters, 12, 19, and 26. I also have a young man Um, who I brought out of foster care, actually Juvenile Hall, who came to live with me as well. All right. He's uh, 19.
1: All right, Yvette, thank you very much. And I'll just let you all know if you hear cars driving by or that little dog yapping in the background, um, we have the doors open at our community center here and our social distancing at the table. So um, you'll just have to deal with that little pup. Well, let's go to uh, Mac Malone. Tell us, um, what about you? A little bit about yourself and your kids and what you do.
3: Hello, my name is Mac Malone. Um, I have five sons and one daughter. Uh, their ages range from 24 to 10. Well, we have um, a different entertainment services that we offer to people where we do an all-in-one. Uh, we offer music, catering, and photography
1: So let's move on to the young man next to you, Victor Mapp. We'll just call Vic tonight. Um, Vic, what's up with you? Tell us about how many kids you got, what you do, and um, yeah.
0: Well, first off, I'm the husband to this
1: lovely. Oh, uh, you got to lean into that mic. This is Mac
0: Malone. All right. That's my wife, and we share the same children. Um, Like she said, we we do own an entertainment company. She does the catering portion, and I do the audio engineering and music production of it i'm a music producer and audio engineer of 16 years freelance and uh yeah that's what we do that's our kids
3: all
1: right and so your kids you share the kids same kids all right and then um furthest over here to the right i have uh cj mcleon and cj what's up tell us about yourself real briefly and um how many kids you got and you might even have a couple grandkids
4: that's correct how you guys doing this evening good good um so my name is cj i have uh Four kids. I work in healthcare. Um, I'm trying to get off the ground a uh, nonprofit uh, that's going to try to support uh, social justice in this area. Um, I have a wonderful person that I'm working with, who's pretty much my mentor and helping me through this. And that that would be Yvette. All right. Before we
1: talk about the kids and your kids' experience and what it's like raising your kids, let's hear about some of your own experiences because. Um, Many of you may, I'm assuming, have had an experience with racism in your life. So let me just uh, take it around the room. Yvette, uh, tell us about um, your first encounter with racism. You know, what was the situation and what did it leave you feeling like? You know, how old were you when that happened?
2: I was 18 working at a hamburger joint in San Leandro. And I was a waitress. And I remember carrying in a bus tray and bussing a table, which means taking plates and glasses off of the table. And I accidentally dropped a glass. And the guy behind me said, you're a dumb nigger. What's wrong with you? And I looked at him, I was like, I'm a dumb nigger for dropping a glass? And so him and I, we had a few words after that. And I went and got my boss and told him what happened. And he looked at me and he said, isn't that what you are? Go clean it up. And so I took the entire tray, I'm sorry, the bus tray, and I remember throwing it down and kicking it in his direction and walking out. That was my very first experience with racism my first experience with a police officer was beautiful uh my brother and sisters and i we walked to the police department in oakland from 32nd and grove and i i wish i could see the gentleman's name i I wish i could remember his name and i wish i could see his face my father uh, was Physically, very physically abusive to myself and my uh, brother and sister. And we walked to the police department and begged them to not send us back. Um, this officer went in the back and got another officer. And they took us to thrifties by the lake to get some ice cream and took us to our first foster home. And I never forgot that experience.
1: Wow. Well thanks for sharing. Um we're gonna move around and just get everybody's kind of first experience. Um Mac Malone, uh I understand you've had a kind of a, a long trail with you know feeling okay, but tell us about when your first experience with racism was, you know, how old you were, um what was the situation and what it left you feeling like.
3: Well, my first real experience was I was in my 30s. I was, it was in Reno, Nevada. I worked for AT&T. And I had transferred from AT&T from Vegas to Reno. And the whole environment was different. And even though I came in there with seniority, I, it just, I stuck out like a sore thumb. I, I couldn't blend with the people at all. You know, everything I would say, every, the way I looked, everything about me just stood out to them, and, you know, I felt it I felt it every time I went to work. From day one, it was an incident when I got there. Day one, it was an incident, and it, and it didn't boil down to nothing but me being black and on the simple fact that my name was so different from everybody else at the job, I knew in my heart that I would never have been hired at that job in Reno if I had not have transferred. And so that was and how, that how was did, my really first my really first experience.
1: And how did that leave you feeling?
3: Really, it made me want to outshine and do everybody outdo everybody else. You know, you wanna judge me, I'll give you something to judge.
1: All right. Okay. Thank you for sharing. And then um, next to you we got Vic. Um, Vic. Um, same thing for you. We're just gonna keep continue around the table. Did you, have you experienced any racism in your life? You know, um, what was the first time? You know, how old were you? How did it leave you feeling?
0: Well, as a Richmond native, brother, let me tell you, <laughs> I have had so much experience with the police, and it's not always been pleasant. I've even had racial experiences in elementary school. My mother um, tried her best to keep me. To, go, to get me into a good school that wasn't, you know, quote, unquote, in the hood. So I went to school in Kensington. And I got to tell you, that's some of the most racist places I've seen in my life. And what made it real disturbing is when I got older, how I thought, how nonchalant everybody was about it and, like, it was supposed to be like that. And I'm supposed to be glad that this, they're just being racist and not violent, you know. So uh, that, that's an eight at six, just people profiling me basically 13 i would have to say was my first experience with the police getting pulled uh getting pulled on getting drawn on with a gun and that was just because my cable went out and i told my mom was going outside to fix the cable and i guess the police got a call that someone was breaking into something regardless he came and drew down on a 13 year old boy me and my stepfather so yeah that's i haven't always had good experiences with the police
1: And how has that kind of left you feeling? Are you, you know, open still? Or are you kind of feeling like, I mean, I get paranoid if I see the lights in my mirror. Or, like, how has that left you feeling?
0: So uh, the paranoia is always there. I've lived with paranoia for the police for over 30 years, you know. And me having five sons, I preach it daily. You know, if they're going somewhere or going with someone, you know, Keep your hands in view. You know, don't if you get pulled over, don't argue. Make sure you call me. Try and get video. You know, the whole the whole talk. You know, I as a father, you know, it 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 terrifies me now. You know, back when I was young and it was just me, I could deal with it. I guess I guess I grew up in that, so I could deal with it. I knew how to handle it. You know, I knew how to so-called get back if I needed to. You know, but as a father, it's it's different because it's not you that you're just worried about. It's it's your sons. You know, and that's a big deal to me.
1: All right, well, um, let's move on and get c j and then we'll um we'll come back and talk about the kids and what it's like um raising the kids in this environment so c j mcleon um c j talk about um you look like you might be the elder of the group <laughs> am I wrong am I wrong? Put me out there like yeah. so you're, you're wrong, you're wrong. wrong. Am I wrong? <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, I have some experience, Frank. so you might have some some different experiences. In some <laughs> I have course.
4: some experience. I I will say this, Frank. For my first experience was actually when I was in um, in middle school, when uh, it became clear to me that one of my counselors did not want me to take a particular course in calculus because she didn't think it was appropriate, and that maybe business ad- business uh, administration or something else might be the route I want to go. Um, that being said, growing up in the movement. Uh, In Philly and Jersey, my family was very involved with the Panthers. Uh, At age 14 or 15, my Uncle Dan worked at a bus station, and of course the Panthers at that time, they were having a meeting in my aunt's backyard. Uncle Dan, the the bus station butted her backyard. Uncle Dan had a little confrontation with the white person at the bus station, and we were actually going to visit him. Um, And so the white person looked at, my uncle Dan, and was like, well, let that nigger over there grab grab the bag and his nigger kids. Dang. Um, so felt it, it felt pretty bad. Felt like I was very angry. Felt like doing something. Just the anger in me. Uh, but growing up in the movement, I've been exposed to it pretty much all my life. And how has it kind of left you with an overall feeling of,
1: you know, how does it just you know make you feel inside when something like that happens to you?
4: Well, it makes you angry. But most importantly, now that I have older kids, I've had to raise them and give them the talk of you know how to protect themselves and what they need to do at night. Uh, me personally, growing up in it from the late '60s throughout my life, the movement was a little bit different. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, it it, it 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 hurts you like hell. You know, for you to be a black man and, and can't walk the street. Can't, um, can't walk, go from a store to come home. Hopefully you might make it there. Getting pulled over just because. Well, just because. Well,
1: since um, we've heard um, the talk has already come up a couple times just going around the room with um, sons, let's just reverse and go back, back around the table. Tell us about, you know, what was that talk like? What did you um, tell your sons and like, how old were they when you felt like
4: you needed to have this talk? Right, so I, I think I had to talk with my kids when when they were probably around the age of eleven, twelve, especially my boys and and the girls, and that talk involved how to what to do if you get pulled over by the police, so that you can make it home safe, so that we can see you again. Um, very uncomfortable, uh, just wondering why you know we as black people have to give that talk, um, just to to like I said, ensure their safety, you know. If they ask you a question, answer their question. Keep your hands up. No sudden moves. Don't turn your back. Don't don't talk back to them. So that that pretty much happened around for them around the age of eleven, twelve years old. And then um we just reverse on back, go back around. How about you, Vic? Uh
1: what was it like? Um, let's move you in a little closer to the mic or you can pull it toward you. Yeah. What was it like? How old were they? You got five boys? Yeah. So, um, yeah, tell us about... uh
0: I think the the first time I had to talk with my oldest, he had to be about 10. Now, mind you, we we relocated to Las Vegas from Richmond, and I thought that was the best move at the time because this was the 90s, and Richmond was still pretty tough. So we decided to uproot and move to Las Vegas. But even in Las Vegas, I made sure I told them, I gave them the talk, you know, because as a black man, I think even if it's not your son... (laughs) <laughs> and he's a young man, you need to give him the talk, you know. They might not take it serious. I know my kids sometimes don't take it serious. You know, Dad, ain't nothing going to happen. It's all right. But in the end, it's always a story I can give them that where somebody didn't listen to the talk or didn't didn't pay attention to what was being told, and they ended up paying for it with their life or close to it. So, you know, vital information in that talk. Regardless if it's, uh, it's not scripted, it's just on what you know as a father, what I know as a father, what my wife knows is her being, you know, b- betrayed at P- AT&T. You know, it's vital information. And uh, I think everybody should have that talk with their their young one. Don't have to be your son or your daughter, you know. Just anyone that you know that's young at that age that needs that talk.
1: And about um, Mama Mac, uh, you guys are together. So, uh, Mac, were you in on that conversation? Did you guys do that together? Or was it just kind of something – you took on on your own at the moment when it came up, or was it something that you said, we're going to do the talk tonight, you two are going to sit down with the kids, or was it separate?
3: So believe it or not, I wasn't given the talk about the police when I was growing up because I was raised on a farm in Vacaville. And so my whole surroundings was surrounded by white people. That's what I went to school with. That's what I was familiar with until... It wasn't until <laughs> it wasn't until I was a grown woman that listening to my husband tell the stories to the boys that it was like you're not supposed to say nothing to the police when they ask you a question. Uh, and, and then, you then, you then the boys
0: wouldn't believe it. The and boys would be like, "Impossible, Dad."
3: Because I always thought, see, I'm a, I'm a negotiator. I like to talk and explain. And it was always thought, well, I can explain what was going on. You're going to jail. But, I, but thank goodness, thank goodness I never had to explain because I would be in jail. I would be in jail for trying to talk my way out of something. And, see, now, now the talk that I give my daughter, don't say nothing at all. Don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. Hey. And I didn't know that.
1: Has your attitude changed after um, all these unbelievable videos that were subjected to? Oh, it's
3: been changed. Like I said, my oldest is 24, so I was taught about the police talk maybe about 24, 25, 26 years ago. You know, I was clearly a grown woman, but... Hanging out with me. Yeah, (laughs) hanging out with him because I didn't know no better. And Mm -hmm. I remember coming to Richmond. And I remember I had a cousin who said we were somewhere, and she said, "Oh, look at the detective." I said, "How do you know that's a detective?" You know, because that was her environment. She, you know, she grew up with that. And see, me, I was naive. I didn't grow up with that. I didn't grow up with those scenarios. Like I said, I never. My parents never gave me the talk. You know, of watch the police, don't say nothing, keep your hands. You know. Me, I always thought I would be able to, I can negotiate, I can say anything I want to say. Wrong. That is not how it works.
1: Well, um, we got one person left here that hasn't told us about it, Yvette. What was it like for you? Um, Did you get uh, the talk, or what was it like when you, um, did you have the conversation with your sons, with your children?
2: Um, In my formative years, my interaction with the police was going from, one foster home to the next and it wasn't negative. But when I took this young man uh, into my home, um, the day I got him out of Juvenile Hall, I took him to a fast food restaurant and he was interviewed and he got a job and I told him, you cannot ever walk home. Either you'll be Ubered or I will come get you. Um, He has had the most negative experiences um, in foster care from 5 to 16. He grew up in nothing but group homes, never a family home, just my home. And he's a friend of my daughter's. And I know that he had one encounter in which uh, I was glad that he made it home. The police, I don't know why, he didn't listen, as kids do. And he tried to walk home, and the police did stop him. And they were asking him all these questions, although he smelled exactly like chicken. And they, they still thought that he was a drug dealer and I, I told him, you know, just never do that again, never. Um, but I do wanna to touch on something that I had an experience with years ago. I had a client in Walnut Creek whose son was beaten to a pulp by a police officer. And this father said, I heard that you guys tell your kids how to interact with the police. He said, I thought I'd never have to do that. His son was on a skateboard, couldn't stop, and ran into a police car. The car crossed in front of him. The officer got out and beat the dog crap out of the little boy. I was hired to expunge his record as he had a scholarship to attend a well-named university. When I saw the pictures of this young man, he was unrecognizable. But the father said, when I saw the Rodney King beating, the first thing I thought was, wow, what did he do? And he said, when I saw my son laying in that hospital bed, there's nothing my child could have did to deserve that. And he said, in that moment, I realized how ignorant I was to what goes on with your people. And he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, that." But I I understand them not need, thinking they need to give their children the talk. But at this time, I think we all need to talk to our children because we don't know who we're meeting out there. They're not all officer-friendly. We'd like for them to be, but they're not.
1: Well, let's talk about it because um, like we talked about earlier um, before we started um, getting on the mic here, people might say, hey, we all have these conversations with our kids um, white, black, whatever, to respect the police. Um, Why do you want to say um, that this is different when you're talking to a young black child? Who would like to uh, take that one first? Uh, Let me get your mic on, Vic. So this is um, Vic. Why why is it different? It has
0: to be different because these are the only children that I see in the street uh, getting detained, getting beat, getting shot. You know, they, they, I don't see any other uh, race uh, of people getting treated like this. You know, if, if that was the case and I'd be the first one to tell you, I, you know, I made some mistakes growing up myself and I don't blame anyone but me. You know what I mean? I don't blame the cop. I don't blame the things he did. I, I blame me for those mistakes. But these kids aren't even even making mistakes. It's to the point where if driving a car with, with your friends can get you killed. You know, it, it has to be given to, to the black child because the white child is not going through this. You know, even the, the parents that are multicultural, you know, it, it, it has to be given to them. I was watching a program before I came here, and the the, the father was white and his child was mixed, and he was trying to to, to get him to understand how this town was working. Where almost the whole town was racist against him, and he was trying to tell, explain to his son how to go about it, and he just could not grasp it. He couldn't. He didn't know what to tell his son, you know. Uh, which, to where I say, you know, even if you have to go and get your friend who happens to be black or whoever to give that talk, man, it has to happen, you know. Other than that, you you ride, you basically riding around with a loaded gun, you know what I mean? And, and who's gonna pull the trigger? We, don't, we never know, you know. It has to be given, though. That's a must.
1: Does anybody else want to answer that about why you think it's um, a little, it has to be different for a black white child? This is uh, Mac.
3: Well, because also black people get killed for complying. And the officer said, stay still. Put your hands up. Put your hands behind your back. Put your hands up and you'll still die. Where you'll see white kids go cursing out the police, throwing stuff at the police, walking right by the police with guns <laughs> and, an and and no license. license how old are you? Or anything to that nature where and then they love to televise black people it always being killed by the police. If there is a white person being killed on camera, we don't ever see that. We don't never see the, the equality in the brutality. You know, um, if you're going to brutalize somebody, brutalize everybody that's doing wrong, right? You know, but it's just it's you all you see, the visuals that they give you are the death and the destruction of how they treat how they treat black people, black and brown people.
1: And CJ, you said you wanted to jump in on this.
4: Yeah, I, I think the bigger question here is is this here. As a black man, as black families growing up in this country, why should we have to give that talk? It's, that's, the that's the question. Why should we or any minority have to pull their kids to the side and say, hey, this is how you need to interact when you get involved with a police officer? No, white kids don't experience that. We see it on videos, you can pull it up on any YouTube. Give me the statistics on how many white kids are getting beat by by, uh, 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 white officers. Better yet, how many white kids are getting beat by black officers? It's very relevant that these kids are getting beat for no reason at all except the color of their skin. You have officers that are patrolling minority communities and they've come with their own mentality. Some of them are ex-militaries. And I'm not. don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all officers are bad. So, so let's, let, let's get that on the table. You have some good damn officers out there. But it's that 10%, that 10% that make it bad for the rest of those officers. But most importantly, no family should have to give them a talk. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we're living in a time where I'd be damned if I wouldn't give my son that talk or my mm-hmm. daughter. I would be negligent as a parent to let my yes. child go out there unprepared. It's a shame that I have to go to bed at night just wondering if they're going to make it home. So when white families experience that or when they begin to talk about that, then I think they can begin to understand what's going on in this country right now.
1: Uh, that's the voice of C.J. and. We've got um, Mac Malone wants to say one more thing before we uh, take a short break.
3: And the problem is this has been going on for generations. People have been giving these talks to their children for generations. And if it wasn't for the cameras, they still wouldn't believe us. If it wasn't up in your face, they still would be questioning, are you sure? What did he say? Did you comply? Did something. you listen? He did something. He did something. He said something. And who, who is the cop to say their main issue is you didn't listen to what I said? You you went against what I said. You asked me a question. But who are you when taxpayers? You work for me.
1: And, uh, I turn myself off. I turn myself off. Annie, bet did you want to say anything before we take our break, or you look like you do?
2: Yeah, I definitely have a burning desire to speak, but if we need to go No, go ahead.
1: We'll just get that, and then we'll just take our break. Why is it different?
2: So let me tell you something. The morning that I found out that Kyle, I saw the video of Kyle in Kenosha. At first, I love research. So I went to the Wisconsin website for gun permits. I learned he was not supposed to have a gun. They also made reference to protecting persons and property. It's a relative, an employee, or the store owner are supposed to be the only people protecting a private property. While the police were policing the peaceful protesters, and all those gentlemen were lined up with their guns, an officer should have walked over to Kyle and the others Let me see your ID. Let me see your gun permit. And then they squirted them away and put Kyle in bed where he was supposed to be. It took two knees to make us all stand up. And that's all I have to say. We can go to break.
1: That's the voice of Yvette Williams, and we are having a— Black Parents Roundtable on KPFA 94.1 and KPFA.org. We'll be right back after this break.
0: Possibly fit for the wool, it's from the whip when somebody else's property. My seat was stopping me, Bootstrap can't pull up properly. From the belly of the ship, some unfinished, but my anger is a stranger, an anomaly. Paradise be within, our reach. Remain meek and turn your cheek. Pray to Jesus when you sleep. Let the wicked wolves watch the sheep, keep them sleep. some the rocks and watch them keep. Let the little niggas go and run them streets. If all else fails, then tip the scales from the niggas in the jail to the then I'm blasting, complete for the crack rock, don't spot, everybody want a fat knock, beginning the competition, Wish Wish with me had good good gang game like this, back up on your block, three knocks to the gates locked, lost with an L dwell on full knocks, came do it for the gram 23 in the shoot no crew are caged on west block, middle's running with the GMO block, poison puts a bigger sock to a deep drop, and if all else fails, then tip the scales from the niggas in the jail to the crooked cops, it don't stop.
1: Welcome back, everyone. This is Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA and kpfa.org. That song you just heard was Reign Supreme by Convict, a.k.a. our guest tonight, Victor Mapp. Thank you for that, sir. And um, tonight we were talking about um, being a black parent and raising kids tonight, and we're getting their perspective on what's happening. And before the break, we were talking about Kyle Rittenhouse and how... him and the militia he was with were openly carrying their weapons, walking around uh, the streets, um, basically out-policing themselves, um, policing Black Lives Matter protesters um, before they were killing uh, Black Lives Matter protesters. And they had an, o- an open welcome um, by the local sheriff and the local police there. And we wanted to kind of just go around the table or whoever wants to talk about this and you know, what If the roles were reversed and those young men out there, um, were openly walking around with, um, those, uh, rifles, would the treatment be the same? So what are your thoughts on that? Yvette? Do you think, um, you watched the videos, you saw the treatment and what it was like, um, the thanking them for being there, the throwing them the bottles of water. Uh, we appreciate you. Would that be the type of welcome that, um, young black men and women would have got if they were out there with their weapons?
2: So I'm just going to quote from this unknown speaker. She said, people should be lucky that we want justice and not vengeance. A black kid can't even be at a protest with a beef jerky in his hand, let alone an assault rifle, because I guarantee you they would be checking for gun permits. They would be checking for IDs, and whether they had the credentials or not, it would be a completely different process and procedure put in place if it was young black men, but we already saw that, the Black Panthers. Yes, we already saw that. Um, I'm not sure where all of this is going to land, but it has to land in the hands of legislation. And I believe that's what people really need. We need change that we could taste and feel. Not something watered down, not something that makes our assembly persons comfortable, but something that holds the police accountable. We need them to be fit for duty emotionally and mentally because if they are the difference in how they look at us, they would see us when they look at themselves and treat us accordingly. Our children, black and white, out here protesting, they're getting a the crap beat out of them. There there's no racial color lines. You punch a black boy, you punch a black a white boy. And all they're doing is standing up. But I think black people, we're tired of standing up. We've been first we started running from slavery. Then we sat down to protest. Now we gotta stand up again. And it's like we've we've, turn, we've we're gone back to Jim Crow. How the hell did we get here?
1: And, and I think when um, you look at throughout history about the people that come out in support of Black Lives, that they are targets as well. They're definitely targets. Um, yes. Does anybody else want to jump in on that one before we um, move on? Um, looks like Vic's got something to say. What's up, Vic?
0: I, I think Yvette is absolutely correct. And what the, what the problem stem from is leadership. you know it it has to be a match to start the fire. you know something some has a spark to fire. Now, we went eight years peacefully, and then you know <laughs> after that, we start hearing hate speech, and it all start start becoming so common to to see people you know jumping black people are or, or police mistreating black people. It all stems from leadership. You know, we switched over to a president who, you know, who really don't care about. If you ask me, I think he's insane. He don't care about nobody but money. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the the leadership he's he's giving people, you know, it seems like it's bringing the worst out in everybody. You know, because as a black man, I feel like you know I don't feel like marching no more. I don't. I don't. I'm done marching. You know, and that goes to say if if something happens to my kid, God forbid, you know, I'm not marching. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going that route. We went that route, and you know, for me to even feel like I got to go to drastic measures now, that's where this country is at, though. You know, the leadership has brought it, brought this country down to this point, to where it, it's boiled. Everything is boiled down now, and you're down to the sticky, uh, sticky inner to the pot. You know, you're gonna have to do something to clean it because it, it's not just gonna go away that easy. You know, go
3: ahead, bro. And Mac. When he says leadership, the problem is: look at the Senate in the Congress. They have been voting against civil rights laws since the '60s, and they're still in office. And they might say, "Oh, now I have a change of heart," but your history and what you've been voting for speaks for itself. It speaks volumes. You know, it. You have the same people in that's running this country. That could care less about black people, and how and why can you say that? Check their records, check their resume, check the receipts. They've been doing the same thing; they just change a couple words every now and then to make a to make you feel better. But you have the same people in office for fifty and sixty years. And like you that said, needs to change. That's a part of leadership, also.
0: Like you guys said, it can't be it can't be a temporary fix. This this has to be you know we we need some we can touch taste feel you know uh, rather than you you campaign and get our vote and then when you get our vote you forget about us you know we're we're in the back of your mind you ain't worried about that no more that 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 sub zero that sub sub housing can go ahead and close we don't care about where those people live you know it's, it's it can't be a, it can't be a temporary fix it has to be fixed all the way from the inside
1: and as we were talking about. Um The Kyle Rittenhouse and what it would be like if those were young black men with the weapons out there. This kind of, we talked earlier before we got on the mic also about the All Lives Matter or the Black Lives Matter, right? And to me, I don't know why it makes people so angry. It makes people so frustrated when to hear people say Black Lives Matter. And I just want to get, um, as a room full of black people in front of me, what is your feelings about all lives matter versus black lives matter? Because we all know all lives matter, right? But what is it about black lives matter that makes people angry? Who we got, I know everybody wants to spot. Uh, let's, get, um, let's go to uh, CJ real quick and let's see what wisdom uh, you have for us.
4: <laughs> yeah. I have a little bit of wisdom, Frank. But it's interesting that we, we talk about black lives matter and all lives matter. I, I I just venture to say this: Did, did all lives ever matter? We mm-hmm. came from slavery. The Indians had the land taken from them. The Chinese, and we can go on and on. Who lives matter? All lives matter. Lives mattered to one one group of people at that time. And look at what happened to black people now. Black lives do matter. Because there's black kids out there getting shot, killed, beaten for no reason at all.
3: A modern day so
4: I mentioned it earlier. How many white kids are getting beaten like that? How many white kids do you see getting shot in the back every day or every two weeks? How many white kids are getting a knee on their neck?
1: Black Lives Matter. And who wants to jump in next? Let's, uh, let's hit Yvette, um, Yvette Williams. You know, what to you, what is at the core of this that some people are so angry when they hear Black Lives Matter? So what is it to you?
2: You know what? Um, this is a great question. But I think it goes to, number one, I think we all should be grateful that we have cameras on our phones and that we now have the footage. But guess what? Everybody sees something different. His tone wasn't right. Look at his stance. People still see something different, but they don't see injustice. They don't see the gentleman, the video I saw the other day where the gentleman had his hands on his back, had his hands on his head, and was kicked in the back. But when I saw the video of the gentleman that was in the truck threatening the officer's life, advancing towards him, right, right. and he got in his truck and he drove away. His life mattered. The white guy who jumped in the truck, his life mattered. To reduce a grown man by kicking him in the back to a little boy, or you, you do not warrant respect. And with all due respect, I've been in business, Now I, I, I wish I would think about the color of the person on the other end of the phone. I believe all lives matter, but, but can you guys take a look at our lives? Do you think I wear a size 11? I dare you to put on my shoes and see what I see and feel what I feel and taste what I taste. I guarantee you, you will kick my shoes to another city.
1: And uh Mac, you had your hand up, you're ready to say something?
3: Yeah, I think the reason why black lives matters irritate people, because that's that guilt. Yes, anything that has anything like Dr. Claude Anderson says, any time that you want to put your money, put effort towards black people, just black people alone you get shot down, you know, every single time. And I think it's that guilt that it wasn't me. I didn't own no slaves. I didn't do nothing to no black person. Why does why does he gotta say black lives matter? My life matter, but yeah, I'm black. My life do matter. My son's life matter, you know? And if you're offended by, all, by black lives matter and you wanna come with, with all lives matter, like they come with blue lives matter, but blue are protected is a job. That's a profession that you chose to go into. That's not the color. You, if, if you didn't have on a uniform, I would not know who you were. But, see, I don't need a uniform, a T-shirt, a sign. I don't need nothing. I just come outside, and you are already uh, my life don't matter. And I think it's guilt. I think it's that it's that guilt because they don't want to be put in a box as being, I'm a part of this problem, when every single last white person in America is a part of the problem. If you're if if okay. you don't speak on it and you see it, you see that misjustice and you see that 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 that, that the, the stuff that's not fair and you don't and it does not piss you off and say why and at, make you ask why, then you are a part of the problem also. Because it doesn't happen to you, that's your privilege. We never had privilege.
1: Oh, let's get Vic then, um Yvette. Everyone wants to. Okay, well, uh, let
0: well go I, first, I, I just wanted to tell you about the anger. Why, why the anger is there? Y'all, y'all missing the whole thing. Man. The, See the fear. It was. It was. Yeah, the fear. That's what it is. The, the fear. fear. So we went from, you know, we shall overcome, nice and soft and docile and marching and hand in hand. We went from that to even your white child marching with us and saying black lives matter. That has to be scary, and you should, feel, you should fear that. You should fear that. That's exactly where that stems from, the fear. I just wanted, that's all I want to say real quick, though. Go ahead, CJ. Yeah,
4: I just wanted to piggyback on, on what Yvette said. It is truly um, uh, her speaking from my heart. When we talk about all lives do matter but our lives aren't being jeopardized right now. Dr. King marched with racists from all over this country, and if you look at the movement when it first started, they were all out there. All of us were out there. Mm -hmm. The narrative has changed. There are suburban moms, suburban dads, that have a passion for some of the stuff that we do. When we are marching for black lives, so I don't want to you know, leave with an understanding that you know we're not suggesting that nobody else's lives matter. matter. We're saying black lives matter because black lives are getting killed every day. And I thank those, that the support that we get from the suburban community. People coming out like they did with Dr. King, marching for human rights. Definitely. And um, that's one thing I've noticed as I've
1: been on the streets. Um, I've been um, to many of the marches and protests, especially here in Antioch. And to me, this feel I've been doing it really since at least 2009 um, with the Oscar grant, I think was the first one that woke me up and got me out into the streets. And since then I've been out there and I've noticed to me that this is the most diverse um, age wise, um, people wise, colors, everything. So let me just real quick we are running out of time. I want to get your thoughts on um, are you cool with your kids out in the streets? Are your kids going out in the streets? Um, If not, I mean, would you be okay with that? What would your concerns be, Yvette?
2: So I'll tell you what I told a parent who asked my opinion on that. And she said she thought her daughter might get hurt. And I referred her to the Eyes on the Prize documentaries. I said, you think those parents were concerned. If your daughter has been bitten by the bug, everyone has a part they could play. Her daughter actually went to a protest with me. She bought gallons of milk. She bought masks, hand sanitizers, and greeted everyone that came to my table. That was her part. Do not tell your children not to get involved. Do not silence them. They, every kid, black, white, Asian, Latino, has a place in this movement. Trust me, they do. When, when we're all good, we're all good. When we're all bad, we're all bad.
4: CJ,
1: did you want to say something on that? You've stepped up to the mic here.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to piggy on back on that. I, I think that uh, uh, it's, in, it's imperative that and important that young kids that get out and get involved. This is a human rights issue that has been uh, going on for quite some time. Like I referred back to the 60, and here we're still doing it. This is the time. It affects everyone. It affects our community more. So I would encourage and uh, hope that, you know, no matter where you're from, color of your skin, get involved in the movement. Get involved in human rights. You watch it on TV every night, every two weeks, you'll see a black kid getting you know, shot, beat up. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And there are people out there that are concerned, and I hope you're one of those parents out there that will allow your kids to get out there and um, and support this cause because human rights are for it, is for everyone.
1: Definitely, definitely. And, uh, Mac, you were about to jump in on this, and then I'll get to my uh, final question here.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to speak on the fact that, you know, since hip-hop generations, because that's what, that's what we mainly are. You know, they love our culture. They love our music. They love our movies. They love our slang. They love everything about us. You know, they love our basketball players. That that's that's gotta go. that, <laughs> we got to matter more sure. than entertaining. Right. Gotta more. You know, and, and oh. it's <laughs> up to everybody. Since, you know, you love the culture, that's our culture you know you love the culture you got to be aware of what the people are going through with that culture you know it's not just funny and games and what you hear on tv and how you who can dunk a ball you know everybody's lives matter but like they say you know we're not seeing white lives all lives being brutalized all we're seeing is is our black people our black lives being brutalized and you're offended when I say, my life matters. Please stop Please stop beating me and killing us. My life matters. And that strikes a nerve for you, for you to get hostile? I just don't understand it.
1: And what I would recommend is um, if you have not been out at one of the marches and rallies to hear and see for yourself and are going by... Um, crazy media stories that are telling you it's all violent mobs and it's a crazy town um, to get out and see for yourself when one comes to your area. We're going to get a quick second. word from CJ. that I'm going to wrap up my last question with is about what do you want to see? But CJ, go ahead right, all right now.
4: Thanks, Frank. I would be remiss if I didn't say this here. Uh, Yvette Williams, Miss Yvette Williams, so humble. I need to let you guys know. She has a petition out there. It's called Fit for Duty and it has to do with police reform the audience out there please take the time to go to change.org and read this awesome awesome petition about police reform
1: you bet you want to give us a quick one two on that before maybe like 30 seconds uh and about it real quick what's your petition
2: the fit for duty petition it it has several moving parts I think of all the moving parts, I really want to touch on the most important piece. Um, I've never aspired, really wanted to be a police officer, although I passed the test in 1995. But I'll tell you what, what they deal with on a day-to-day basis, I can see how they can get soured. I can see how their trust can be violated, I can see how it can affect them emotionally and mentally. The same test, the lie detector test and the polygraph test that is used to deem them fit for duty initially to move through the employment cycle should be readministered every two to five years to see if they remain fit for duty.
1: And tell people where they could find that again real quickly.
2: There's more moving parts, folks.
1: Yeah, work at this. But it's
2: on (laughs) fitfordutychain.org. Or you can Google my name.
1: And I'll put a link to that on the um, kpfaapprentice.org website uh, just after the show tonight. We are running out of time and I want to make my announcement. We're going to do a quick uh, 10, 20 seconds each person, starting with Yvette and we'll go around the table. Yvette, in in like 10 or 15 seconds, what can you say would you like to see for the immediate future? Around I'm Black Lives Matter and what's well, I'm
2: I'm kind of biased, so I would, like, fit for duty to fly through the legislate, legislative path. I would like for a legislator to pick it up and run with it because it's a common sense to police
3: reform.
1: All right, that was Yvette Williams. And Mac Malone, um, briefly, what would you like to see?
3: I would like to see the police be held accountable for the actions that they take. Amen. I'm with Everybody that. has to be accountable. You, They need to be accountable and be able to raise their hand to know, oh, I shot that person. And you should be unemployed. If you do shoot somebody, you should not be able to be a police officer ever again.
1: And Mac, um, just 10 seconds or less, what would you like to see for our future?
0: So I definitely want to see that, that police reform, you know. Uh, If a truck driver has to go and get a urinalysis and cycle evaluation every six months, you know why shouldn't a cop? You know they deal with a lot of stuff. They should be evaluated a lot more than what they are, no doubt.
1: And I would say include um, illegal steroids in those tests. Mm -hmm. Um, CJ (laughs) McLeon, what do you want to see for our future, real quick?
4: On what Vic said, listen, it's. I think that police officers should. In order to be a police officer in any state, they should be required to have a license, just like a driver's license. If they they do things wrong, then their license should be revoked and they should not be able to go and work somewhere else, not until they... Uh, respond to some of the things that Yvette talked about in her fit for duty, but I think that profession should be licensed just like other professions, and therefore they will be held accountable yes. because they can't renew their license, and that will take the, the, uh, the ownership off of these police departments and these chiefs that have to, these police chiefs, chiefs in that have to deal at in the unit. It takes it away from that. Definitely. All right. Well, we're running out of time, and I want to give a
1: big thank you. Um, like okay. You real quick, Yvette, but 10 seconds. Know.
2: To the, to the gentleman, I don't know his name, the gentleman that passed and he played in Panther, no one looked at the color of that man's skin when he passed. All they knew is he was Panther. Can we all treat each other accordingly?
1: Amen to that. And that was the voice of Yvette Williams. We also heard earlier from Mac Malone, Victor Mapp, and CJ McLeon. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you all for joining me tonight on Full Circle and our Black Parents Roundtable. And thank you all for uh, being open and sharing tonight. Thank you. And before I let you go tonight, I want you all to know that while this show is broadcasting, a group of people have launched a hunger strike in Antioch and are holding a sit-in at the Antioch Police Department. For full disclosure, I am currently working with these folks from Bay Area Grassroots, Justice Advocates and Resources, and East Bay Resistance in a support role. And we have put forth a list of demands for the city council and the mayor of Antioch, and those demands are the immediate termination of Officer Michael Malone, the killer cop who was recently hired out of San Francisco, who went against his own department policies there when he shot and killed Luis Gongora Pat. We are also demanding that Officer Stephen Aiello, the president of the Antioch Police Officers Association, their union, step down as president after he commented that it was 100% justified to slap a woman protester in the face if she flipped off the police. And our third demand is that we want a seat at the table for community activists and victims of police violence in the upcoming bridge the gap conversation on police reform in Antioch and we want that forum to happen within the next 30 days these hunger strikers will not be eating solid food until these demands are met and finally i want to give you all a heads up that next saturday september 12th there will be a rally and a march in Antioch in support of the hunger strikers and against hate and white supremacy this will start at a gathering. Um, this will start with a gathering at the Antioch City Park at the corner of 10th and A Street at 4 p.m. with a march to follow down to the Antioch Police Station. You can find all the details about the hunger strike and next week's march and rally on our website, kpfaprentice.org, just after the show. And that does bring us to the end of tonight's show. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is myself, Free Will, and Frank Sterling. I have also been your host tonight. Joy Moore is our production consultant. Special shout-out to my friend here, Yvette Williams, for helping me organize our families for tonight's show. And a big thank you to the parents here that shared their thoughts and their concerns. Don't forget to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, for links and information related to tonight's show. You'll also find our archives for past shows there. That's it for me tonight, Free Will and Franklin. To everyone out there, please, please protect your health and your humanity. And stay tuned. Up next is La Onda Pajita.